Hello everyone, this is Adam Jardy from the Columbus Dispatch. Today is Sunday, February 18th, 2024, and it's my official duty to welcome you into episode 392 of the Buckeye Extra Men's Basketball Podcast. Welcome to Jubilation City. Welcome to Value City Arena, which was as jubilant as it has been in quite some time. Ohio State, uh, four days removed from firing head coach Chris Holtman and appointing Jake Diebler as interim head coach. Took the lead with uh, two minutes and 31 seconds left in the first half and never trailed the rest of the way in a 73-69 home win against number two Purdue in front of 18,353 fans at Value City Arena, many of whom made their way to the floor at the end to celebrate, to dance, take photos, it just generally revel in a moment that felt a long time coming. Uh, this was as joyous, as excited, as just generally good vibesy as I've seen Ohio State basketball uh, in a good while. And you felt it. Well, I wouldn't say you felt it early because Purdue came out and I mean, I, I tweeted it was a nightmare start for Ohio State, but the Buckeyes settled themselves. Uh, Thornton got things going early and then uh, they just kind of kept chipping away for a little while and then got contributions from a number of different guys and just really frustrated Purdue throughout. I, I thought this is the kind of game that for everyone, or for as good as Purdue has been and as dominant as Purdue has been, this is the game that makes everyone question how deep the Boilermakers can make it in the postseason. Uh, but obviously we're going to focus much more on Ohio State than than Purdue in this podcast. But it was it was telling that Zach Eady finished with 22 and 13. And I had to look at that and think, did he really get that many? It never seemed like he was impactful in any appreciable way for a significant period of time. And aside from a couple of early shots, Purdue didn't get a lot from a lot of other guys. Uh, Eady had 22 and 13. Fletcher Lawyer had six on one of seven shooting. Uh, Braden Smith had 12 on five of 11 shooting. Lance Jones had 13 on three of 11 shooting. Trey Kaufman Wren had 12 on five of six shooting. He was pretty decent for Purdue, but that Purdue backcourt that has been the bugaboo for the Boilermakers, Ohio State took him out of it. And the Buckeyes played a deeper bench, played or played a deeper rotation rather, went deeper into the bench. And Jake Diebler takes down the number two team in the country in his first game as interim head coach. So there's quite a few things uh, to get into here. A um, couple of the numbers just kind of right off the top. Ohio State turned 14 Purdue turnovers into a 22 to 5 advantage in points off of turnovers. That is tied for Ohio State's biggest margin in that category since it beat Miami of Ohio back on December 6th. That's a game that uh, a lot of times as I'm looking for stats, like when was the last time Ohio State did this one thing really well? Most of them go back to that, that Miami game. Ohio State outscored Purdue 26 to 4 in bench points, which is a stat that I always feel is a little misleading because if the guys on the bench were that good, they'd probably be starting. But 
whatever. In this game, Ohio State outscored Purdue 26 to four off the bench. And that is also Ohio State's most or our most lopsided margin since the Miami game. Buckeyes got contributions for a number of guys. Bruce Thornton led the way. He had 22 on eight of 17 shooting, five of five from the line. We almost had an absolutely perfect free throw shooting game. Purdue was 20 of 20 from the line, and Ohio State was 10 of 11 from the line. The lone miss, uh, Devin Royal had one miss, uh, but otherwise combined 30 for 31 from the free throw line. So Purdue didn't crush Ohio State at the line. Ohio State took care of business off of turnovers, got more points off the bench. Purdue only had a 13 to 7 advantage in second chance points, despite uh, out-rebounding Ohio State 36 to 23. Now, that was a big talking point coming in. That was a big point of emphasis under Jake Diebler in the three practices the Buckeyes had leading into this game. Hard to hard to do that against Purdue, but it didn't, in the end, end up crushing Ohio State. One of the... Well, sorry, I'm getting ahead of myself there. Uh, Thornton had 22. Jamison Battle had 19 points, all of which came after halftime, nine of which came in the span of 61 seconds as Ohio State took control and then kind of cruised from there. Roddy Gale only had four points on two of six shooting, but he had four assists and just one turnover. Evan Mahaffey only had two points, but he had some significant moments defensively. He had two blocks, one of which was a straight-up block of a Zach Eady bucket near the rim that really got the crowd going. Dale Bonner had seven points off the bench. He was three of four. He hit a three. Devin Royal had five points, three rebounds, two assists, no turnovers. Zed Key played the biggest game of his season by far. And you look at the stat line, nine points, one rebound in 21 minutes and 20 seconds. Zed Key had a career-high five steals. And much of that came matched up with Zach Eady. It was a significant reason why Ohio State was, was able to win this game. Scotty Middleton played well, probably his most impactful minutes in a while, 14 minutes, 36 seconds. He had three points. He hit a three, uh, two rebounds. Tayson Chapman got some run. He played two minutes and 57 seconds, ends up with a three trillion, but was on the court, which is the first time uh, in a couple of minutes. And then Austin Parks got in during the first half, played a minute 53, and with uh, two minutes and 31 seconds left in the first half, Austin Parks both attempted and made his first career field goal for Ohio State. And it ended up being the go-ahead bucket. Ohio State took a 29-28 lead at that point. And while Purdue, oh crap, I got that wrong. Uh-oh, I got to go fix that. Uh, that put Ohio State had 29-28, but then Parks did foul um, uh, Purdue's Braden Smith at the other end. He hit two free throws with 244 to play, and that that gave Purdue a brief lead. But then Scotty Middleton had a really nice interchange, or interplay rather, with uh, Devin Royal. They're on the left wing, and they ran uh, like a pick-and-roll type of, type of setup and it got Devin going downhill at a, at a pretty good angle and he scored that put Ohio state had 31 30 and Ohio state never trailed from that point. So a uh, point of clarification there, by the time you listen to this, that will have been corrected in my online game story. I apologize uh, for the mistake. However, it is true that for the last 22 minutes and 31 seconds, Ohio state never trailed. And the closest that it got was when Purdue made it 65-65 when uh, Lance Jones hit a three-pointer just left of the top of the circle. And that shot came with a minute 39 to go. And this is after Ohio State had led by as many as 12 points with 14-20 to play. And then did go through a little bit of one of those offensive spells that we see Ohio State go through where 
Devin, or excuse me, Devin, Dale Bonner with a really nice sort of crossover finish at the rim, which came right after Zed Key had stripped Zach Eady. And so that that gave Ohio State a 54-43 lead, but that's not the 12-point lead. 12-point lead came after Jamison Battle went nuts from three. All right, we'll we'll get to that sequence here in a second. But um, in general, this game moves Ohio State now to 15-11 and 11 overall. 5 and 10 in the Big 10. Purdue falls to 23 and 3, 12 and 3 overall. All three losses on the road. Purdue came in having won nine straight, which was, I believe, the sixth longest winning streak in the country. Ohio State came in having lost nine of 11 and having fired its coach on Wednesday. And by the end, you had uh, court storming. You had Ohio State's fans on the floor. You had the players celebrating, enjoying the moment. Uh, Jake Diebler fighting back some. Some emotions throughout all the proceedings. Uh, there was a different vibe in the building from the moment I got here, and I, I wrote about this uh, in the uh, my game story. That about two and a half, three hours before the game started, you had Ohio State's ushers on the floor doing their due gil- due diligence, but preparing in case of a court storming and getting ready for helping get helping to get Zach Eady and the Boilermakers off the court should Ohio State pull off the upset. And that certainly is them just doing their due diligence again and making sure that they're prepared. That's anytime, you know, the number two team in the country is playing somewhere. I'm sure every arena is going over their procedures and Ohio State was no different in this case. But I also felt that on this in this case, it spoke to the moment and it spoke to how things seemed to be trending and part of why we all love this dumb sport so much. I like I just said Ohio State has lost 9 of 11 and fired its coach and has everybody in the world questioning what this team is, who this team is, where this season is headed, what's wrong with everything. And Purdue just I mean yeah the the, the Boilers had to fend off a challenge from Minnesota the other night, but Purdue's just been rolling and was just named the overall number 1 seed in the NCAA selection committee. Uh, revealed its top 16 seeds uh, if the tournament were to have started this weekend, which would have caught a lot of us by surprise. But the Boilers are, they they look the part and they've been the part. They have the best record or the best resume rather, um, essentially of anybody in the country. Now this, this loss is going to ding them. And I'm very curious when we wake up on Monday morning to see where these teams are in the NCAA's net rankings, because this is only Ohio State's second quad one win. You know, I stopped really looking at this stuff as the losses just continue to pile up. But Purdue came in uh, 92 in quad one, six and oh in quad two, no losses outside of the first quadrant. So 15 and two in the top two quadrants. That's the stuff that the committee especially really looks at. Uh, Ohio State, one and six in quad one, one and four in quad two. So two and 10 in the first quadrant and seven and one in quad three, which I believe is the home loss to Indiana. So all that and also a midweek coaching change and Ohio State comes out of this one winning by four. It's it's just one of those weird, beautiful things about college basketball that honestly walking into the building, it just sort of felt like this could happen. And there was a lot of other stuff going around leading into this game. Um, Aaron Kraft was here and he was signing autographs beforehand. Uh, I did have to laugh when they tweeted that there was like a, a card collector thing uh, and Ohio state had put out something about, about it. So I tweeted that, you know, if you want to get a special card autographed by Aaron Kraft, they're doing a ticket package before the Purdue game. And this is probably 
three weeks ago. But uh, one of the responses that I got was something to the effect of using a legend to bribe fans to witness a murder is nasty work. <laughs> it just stuck with me. It cracked me up at the time. Uh, but so you had Kraft here and the line to get his autograph was significant. Uh, it, that event completely sold out. It was in the practice gym. But so that had been in the works for a while. Uh, so that happens. The 1999 Wink Wink Final Four team was here. And they were recognized during a timeout leading in or during the first half. Uh, it felt like they should have been given a halftime introduction where they would have, you know, been able to give guys an extra moment. I mean, they ran down everybody's name real quickly. Uh, Scooney Penn got the loudest applause, uh, but it was cool to see those guys there. Like some of them with their kids, George Reese had family there and they, it, it meant a lot. It really meant a lot to those guys to 25 years later be recognized for Finishing number four in the uh, USA Today coaches poll. But I also thought this is a nice little nod to the fact that they can't mention the final four because of the uh, agreement with the NCAA. But they played one shining moment as they were announcing those guys. And I just thought a coaching change and all the emotion that went into the week. There was just a lot of stuff coming into this game. And you got the real sense that like with everything having been questioned in the last certainly in the last several days, but you know, over the course of the last, what, two plus years, that you were going to see a better response from Ohio State. And I wouldn't say that I came into this. In fact, I won't say that I came into this thinking Ohio State's going to win today. But it didn't, the thought didn't break my brain. Like I could very easily sit there and lay out a case to why I thought that there was a chance. And a lot of it was just based on all these extra things and vibes and, you know, how would Ohio State play with a fresh page, you know, you, you, you move on to the next era or at least the next temporary era. What happens if you get some positive momentum going? Would there be looking over your shoulder because uh, we have another lead, but we don't know how to hold that lead? Like this felt like a chance to reset and what that means for the rest of the season. I mean, whoa, it's too early to really get it too much into into all of that. But this felt like an opportunity and they took advantage of it. So again, it just comes back to there were there were the vibes were on Ohio State's side for seemingly the first time in a really long time. And that built as the game went on. And that's what I'm going to get into next. Uh, before we do, I want to remind you that you can subscribe to the podcast on Apple, Spotify, Google, Stitcher, wherever you enjoy the finest of podcasts. If you if you do if you subscribe, you'll automatically get the newest ones as soon as our man Patrick Flaherty can grab them and publish them for you. Uh while you're subscribing or downloading, please leave a review. Please click five stars and please consider telling a friend. Thanks to everyone who has taken the time to do that. Uh, the reviews keep coming in and they're positive and my bosses like that stuff. And so I like that stuff. So thanks, everybody. It did. It's been a challenging week and I'll get to some of that at the very end. But I, I do genuinely appreciate the the kind words and the and the positive feedback on the job I'm trying to trying to do here. So one of the things uh, that was most interesting to me as this game went on was the way the game and the crowd and the environment escalated as Zach Eady did not take control. And it seemed like this was a game, you know, he, he was doing well early. Um, he had a, he blocked Evan Mahaffey, like just straight up, um, finished a lob uh, with 15, 21 to go in the first half that put Purdue up 14 to eight affected a Zed key right-handed hook shot. But then what you started to see is this went on. Edie got stripped twice on one possession. And this is with 
Purdue ahead 14 to eight and Bruce missed a three Purdue missed a shot. And then Zed had his hook shot that he missed that ED impacted. So Purdue comes down, Purdue's up 14 to eight and Roddy strips the ball from Zach Eady. The ball ends up going out of bounds, but Purdue keeps possession. Edie gets stripped again, and this ends up being a turnover. And you, I saw Jake Dealer was fired up at this point. This ended up being uh, Zed's first steal of the game. This was a 13.43 to go. And then on the next possession, Zed hits a three from the top of the circle. Uh, Edie didn't come out and guard him. He had a good look, and that was a turning moment where you could... Even the fact that Zach Eady tipped in a uh, missed this one, he tipped in a Fletcher lawyer miss on the next possession, and Devin Royal had a miss. Didn't really do a whole lot to to deaden the Ohio State crowd, especially when Zed then took a charge on Zach Eady. Uh, that again, it fired up. You, you had a natural villain in this case. You had someone that the fans could key on, and I don't, I don't, want, I wouldn't say that it, it affected Zach Eady. I don't think the fans getting on him really were the difference in this game because he is assuredly played in front of much more hostile vocal crowds than what he dealt with in this game. And that's not a, that's not a dig on the Ohio state fans. That's just a recognition of what the atmosphere is typically in value city arena due to how it's been constructed and, and all of that. But you had Ohio state start pushing the tempo. That was another thing that got talked about a lot and, and felt like, a, a meaningful difference in this game that you saw guys pushing the ball. I'm like, I'm looking at my notes here um, after uh, Lance Jones misses at the rim. Ohio State gets the ball and Zed quickly is up court. They get the ball to him. He scores to make it 16 to 14. Then after a uh, miss from Braden Smith, uh, Zed gets the ball and he feeds it to Roddy for a slam dunk. And like you saw the entire arena raising its roof that tied it at 16 Ohio State wouldn't score for a little while. Purdue built it back to 22 to 16, but then Scotty Middleton hits a three. And this is where you could hear there were good, there was a good Purdue contingent inside Value City Arena. There's a boiler up chant that we heard multiple times during the first half. Scotty silenced it with this three pointer, but then Purdue got it back to 28 to 21. It's a seven point lead uh, with about five minutes to go in the first half. And this is where Zed scores. He got kind of stuck along the left baseline and was able to just keep spinning and got open and, and hit the like floater, essentially the cut it to five Then Zach Eady with a miss Thornton draws a foul on Bruce on Edie with four thirty to go. Edie sits for, Thornton hits the free throws. It's 28, 25 again, a big sequence where the crowd was keyed on keyed in on Edie. He wasn't doing a whole lot. And when he made a mistake, it just ratcheted up the atmosphere and when that happened, Ohio State responded in the way that uh, it, in large cases, has not this season. And it, when it took the lead with the Scotty Middleton to Devin Royal feed, the Buckeyes would score in five straight possessions. That made it 35 to 30, which is what ended up being at the half. And it nearly was more. Ohio State had a lengthy possession at the end of the first half where Thornton missed a three. Roddy got fouled on the offensive rebound. Devin missed a three. Scotty tipped the rebound out, kept the possession alive, and then it ended up with a Middleton three-point miss uh, from the left corner. But then it just started to to switch during a stretch when Ohio State led 41 to 38 after Evan Mahaffey fouled Zach Eady and then uh, Braden Smith drilled a three. So at this point, it is 41 to 38. 
Ohio State had 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 a lead, had made a run, produced scores on four of six possessions. And we we've seen this story, right? Like this is what this team has been. That's what this season has been. There's 15 minutes and 48 seconds left. And then Ohio State flips it thanks to uh, just Jameson Battle and help from, help from some of his friends. He was quick to credit some of the other guys on, on the roster here. But you had a sequence ahead 41-38 where Thornton misses a jumper, but Evan Mahaffey comes up with the board in the paint. Edie had been kind of pulled away from the rim just a little bit. And he dishes it to Jameson Battle, who hits a three. Now, Battle was two for 13 in his last three games and did not score during the first half. He had three first half fouls. He hits this three that puts the Ohio State lead to six. And now comes the, the, the this sequence is just, I'm sure they're going to film this or, uh, you know, cut this in film and just show it to the team for the rest of the season because Battle hits the three that makes it 44 to 38. And then Edie's got the ball down low and he gets it knocked away, but then it's still loose. You got bodies flying everywhere. Edie basically is about to fall into the Ohio State student section after Edie had first lost the ball underneath the rim. Um, but it ends up in Ohio State's hands. They push the ball up court. They get it to Thor- or to, to battle. He buries another three. It's 47 to 38 right now. The crowd, I wrote here in my notes, in all caps, and I circled it. I just wrote loud. So Purdue calls timeout with 14.45 to go. The lead is up to a game high, nine points for Ohio State. And this Purdue draws up a play. Matt Painter's one of the best X's and O's coaches in college basketball. There's no debating that. They draw up a play, and they're trying to get it to Edie down low. And Zed sees the play, gets in front of it, anticipates the pass, comes up with the steal. They go the other way, and Jameson battle buries another three. It almost continued from there. Zed came up with a strip again with Ohio State up 12, and battle got another three. This one he missed. He did say after the game a little bit of a heat check. But that 12-point lead, Purdue would slowly cut into it, but Dale Bonner has a crossover 54-43 with 11 minutes left. And then we get into the sequence that we've seen from Ohio State so many times. Scotty Middleton misses a jumper. It's 54-45. Uh, Bruce Thornton gets blocked by Zach Eady. At this point, it's 54-47. Uh, Dale Bonner has a three-pointer blocked by Braden Smith. And then Eady slams a Lance Jones miss. It's 54-49. It's getting a little bit antsy. You hear the boiler up chant again. Dale Bonner turns it over. But then... You get a miss from uh, from Lance Jones. Scotty Middleton misses another three. And then Purdue has this possession where it's 54-49. I'm going to count because in my notes, I just wrote in all caps, so many misses. 54-49. See, how many offensive rebounds did Purdue have on this possession? So you had, after the Middleton miss, Braden Smith misses a shot. Caleb First gets the offensive rebound. Akpara blocks first. Braden Smith gets the offensive rebound. He misses. Caleb first gets the offensive rebound. He misses. Edie gets the offensive rebound. He misses. Caleb first gets the offensive rebound. He misses. This is all on one possession. And somehow Scotty Middleton comes up with the defensive rebound. And 13 seconds later, Ohio State scores. So they push the ball. They had an opportunity. Thornton scores on a on a jumper. It's back to a seven-point uh Seven-point lead. Ohio State's ushers started to make their way to the court with 529 to play. And Ohio State ahead 58-53. They started to congregate in front of me. And then it came down to the, the final seconds because, of course, it would. It's 65-65, and they get the ball to Jameson Battle, and he hits a jumper in the paint. And then what else? Zed Key strips Zach Eady. 
Thornton gets fouled. Then Jameson Battle gets fouled. He goes to the line with 34.1 seconds left. He hits both free throws. It's a four-point lead. Edie gets a dunk to pull within two. Ohio State calls timeout with 16.5 to go. Uh, Thornton gets fouled with eight seconds left. He hits both ends of the one and one. And then Battle would hit two free throws with 1.2 seconds left to, to set the final score and set off the court storming. It was a game. This was one of those... Um, Someone asked me post game like where this ranks among the Ohio State games that I've covered. I, it's up there. I think like just on completely on its own in a vacuum, it was entertaining. Um, you had a natural villain for the crowd, and you had a team that just kind of refused to lose. That was one thing that Jake Diebler said about Bruce Thornton, and that's the kind of stuff that yeah, it, it does make for a game that that will stick with you. I think the the obvious other stuff that goes into this kind of why Ohio State was in this position and the fact that ultimately this unless they keep winning uh this isn't this isn't a game that's going to that suddenly puts Ohio State on the bubble or in the tournament or or any of those things the buckeyes it's we're we're nowhere near talking about that kind of stuff yet you know they've lost 16 in a row and now they go play at Minnesota and at Michigan State so they find a way to suddenly win on the road again and string together some kind of winning streak here then then we can talk but until that point, until this team proves that it can do things that it has consistently proven it cannot do, it's that's that's just where that's where this is. So this this becomes an exciting game, a fun game, but ultimately one that doesn't really it's not enough on its own to change uh, the course of a season. But there was a lot of interesting post game talk. We spoke with Jake Diebler, uh, we spoke with um, you know, Matt Painter, we spoke with Bruce Thornton, and we spoke with Jamison Battle. And the quote from Painter, and I tweeted this, and I, I saw, I think I had 57 replies to it, and I have not read a single one of them because I, I can imagine what they say, but I, I thought this was, this was an interesting quote um, from Painter, and this is, I'm sure I've probably been accused of uh, stirring the pot or having an agenda or something, but uh, the way that he said this, I just thought was was really interesting. Painter said, I'm trying to, I've got so many files up right now. You know, the, he was asked, what differences do you see with Ohio State with Diebler in place of Holtman? And he said, nothing, none. If he was here, the score would have been 73-69 Ohio State. Nothing. He's his assistant. They didn't run anything different. They didn't do anything different. They're the same team. It's a player's game. They have good players. Now, I thought the biggest difference was the pace and the commitment to playing with more pace, as well as going a little bit deeper into the bench. And some of that came from... Jake said after the game, Jake Diebler, that he saw he, they had more guys than he could remember in a while saying they needed a, a, a break because the guys were playing at a high enough level of intensity that they needed to come out and catch their breath for a minute. And he said that was a difference. That's been like the biggest talking point since Diebler took over was playing and practicing with a higher level, um, higher level of pace. So that was a big I, that's where I would disagree with with Painter and say like things were different in that regard. We saw some slight different things schematically. Nothing, nothing that like really jumped out to me at, at first blush. But I just thought Ohio State played with a little bit more purpose and a little bit more overall. I don't know connectedness. Um, I don't know if I want to say passion or whatever but the, the vibes were different in this game and i keep i just sort of keep coming back to that as i as i try to process this one um i asked i asked diebler about um find this quote here 
he he had a comment about how he just saw in Bruce. He said, I felt like he was not going to let us lose. He said, certainly that wasn't exclusive to him. It was collectively guys were so invested in doing their job at a high level to help this team. So then my question was, is like, was that the biggest difference? If, if Painter says he didn't see you guys play all that differently, like, was that the, is that the difference that like, there was just sort of a different attitude, different mindset, whatever. And he said, our players stepped up down the stretch. The collective mentality of our group and staying aggressive, staying in the moment was the difference. And Bruce and Jamison led that for us. I said, well, now how do you get that consistently? Because clearly that's, if that's been the difference that that hasn't been to the level it's needed to be. And we've, We've talked about that, like, or at least around that for a good while now, just that this team needs some guys to just step up and refuse to lose, make plays. Um, Jake said we have to practice that way and practice with a sense of urgency the way we have the last few days and keep moving forward. said he tried to keep things as pretty, pretty much as straightforward as possible, as normal as possible. He did say there were two things that really helped him in sort of getting in the right space to to lead this team in this game. He said, one was a conversation with Holt a couple nights ago that gave me a confidence in him talking to me. I'm not going to get into any details, but that was really helpful to me. And I'm so thankful for that conversation. He said, and to God to give me the peace and comfort to fill into this seat in what's been a challenging few days. He said, I told our guys before we went out, let's see, let's play how we've practiced the last few days. There's a great sense of urgency and pace to what we were doing. He said, We've talked about family for three days. We were a true family. We played like it. We coached like it. I thought Jake coached like his dad. I grew up playing against some of Keith Diebler's teams when he was at Gibsonburg High School and I was at Northwood. I hated playing against Diebler's teams. They were pressing us. They were uh, aggressive. Uh, They were always in our face. There was a high level of intensity. I hated playing Gibsonburg teams. And I thought we saw some of that in Jake in this game, he did say like one of the guys in the staff was like, are you okay? You look a little flushed. He said, I'm hot and I've been coaching hard. He said it. He said he was nervous. Uh, he said he got a lot of advice from people that helped him. Like, like I said, talk to Holtman. Uh, he said he got advice from Gene. A lot of it was just about be yourself, coach the way that you coach. Um, and he tried to really stick, stick to that in this game. I did think it was interesting. I don't remember the last time I've seen something quite like this. And I wrote a story that published before I started recording this. I'll have my takeaways from the game for Monday morning. But we were in this room on Wednesday where Gene Smith walked in, stood at a podium, took questions for 13 minutes and then left. And now four days later, we're in that same room and then the door opens and Gene Smith walks in and he brings in two chairs so he can sit in the back with his wife for all of the post-game interviews. So he's in there for Matt Painter. He's in there for Thornton and, and Battle. He's in there for for Diebler. He was he hugged and embraced the players as as they left. And then when Jake was done, uh, they had a really like seemed like emotional kind of moment where uh, Gene like had his hand on on uh, Diebler's face and was just like talking to him very very sort of matter of factly. And they had like a you know pretty strong pat on the back and headed their separate ways. But um, I don't remember the last time I've seen Gene in a post-game press conference like that. And so that was the lead to that story, just trying to look at some of the emotions, some of the things that that went into this day. It is worth pointing out, I know I've mentioned it on here, but Scooney Penn straight up told me Ohio State was going to win this game. And he repeated that. I I ran into him before the game, and and he reiterated that as well. So 
shout out to Scooney because he he nailed it. Let's see, I'm trying to think what else I, I have here because there's it, it was just kind of one of those one of those interesting games where it didn't feel like the numbers mattered a whole lot and the stats didn't matter a whole lot, but the result did and the way it played did. In some ways, this was similar to you know, when you cover soccer. Uh, like I did for a couple of years, like you'll hear about like playing the right way. And, you know, that doesn't always mean you're going to win. But, you know, sometimes like the playing the beautiful game the right way is more important almost to some people than than winning ugly. It's a zero sum game. You win, you lose. That's what you're judged on. But I felt like um, that stuff was as important, if not more important in this game than the specific ins and outs. Uh, but Having said that, I'll have plenty of look at the ins and outs by the time you uh, hear this podcast on on Monday. So I do have a couple of, uh, well, I shouldn't say a couple. How many replies did I get? I have 98 replies to my post-game uh, text to our tech subscribers. So, boy, I'm going to do what I can here to try to run through a couple of these. Let's see. Uh, Jake H, or excuse me, Jack H, proud to be a Buckeye alumni. Mike R, hire him. Ed V, Killer Instincts kicked in, finished both halves. They sure did. Um, ben L, he brought so much emotion to the sidelines. Happy for him and the players. Dave H said, a great win. Coaching style was obvious. Better rotation, better defense. Shot selection, good. Best game in a long while for Key. One win doesn't make a head coach. Just saying, what do the players say? Next year's recruiting class. Does Diebler have the profile to keep these guys in the program? So I'm going to... I'll do the best that I can in these post-game podcasts here to keep us apprised as best I can of the coaching situation and where things could be headed, might be headed. I think there's a pretty compelling case for Diebler to remain on this staff, certainly going forward, regardless of who's in charge, because he has significant relationships with um not only basically every player on this roster, and if you believe in the talent on this roster and the players on this roster, then I feel pretty confident saying there's at least a couple that you think would transfer that would probably stay knowing that Jake Diebler is going to be on staff. Who the head guy is is ultimately going to be the big question, and that's going to be, I think, the deciding factor, and that makes sense. It should be that way. For Jake to get the full-time job, it will take a lot. I, I mean, I, I think we're talking like win out, deep Big Ten tournament run. Play, you know, if this team wins its next uh, five games, if, if we're talking about an Ohio State team that is twenty and eleven and and ten and ten in the Big Ten, going into the Big Ten tournament, and then wins a, I don't know, wins whatever in the Big, if this team makes the NCAA tournament, is playing in the Sweet Sixteen, we'll talk then. Um, I'm not saying that it can't happen, but I'm not prepared to fully engage with that possibility because that there's a lot I think that needs to happen uh, before uh, you're in a situation where you you're hiring somebody who does not have head coaching experience. And that's the only knock on Jake Diebler uh, really at this point. Um, so we'll see. We'll see on all that. Um, we're still very early into this coaching search process. There's not a whole lot in the way of concrete news that I can pass along. Um, but I will certainly, I will certainly have more as we get closer, or as we get a little bit further down down the road here, because um, that's really very quickly that's going to be become the only pressing question that and who stays and who doesn't. Let's see, Shannon S. Diebler may be the guy to do it. My concern though is still as a top tier recruit, he's not a big name yet. Fair. Hey, Todd J. I know this dude. One of the best games I've seen the Buckeyes play. I agree, Dad. That's one of the best games they've played. I think it's. 
probably the best game they've played since Alabama and maybe the best game they've played all year. Uh, I was looking at the the Ken Palm numbers. This win was all right. So Ohio State finished with an adjusted offensive efficiency uh, rating of 117.1 points per 100 possessions. This was the fourth worst defensive performance for Purdue all season. And this is a Purdue team that rates 21st now nationally in adjusted defensive efficiency. And then the Boilermakers are second in adjusted offensive efficiency. But in this game, Purdue finished at 110.6 points per 100 possessions. That was Purdue's seventh worst offensive game of the season. So overall, pretty solid from a number standpoint uh, for Ohio State in this one. See, Richard L., amazing moment when hope was at an all-time low. Ryan Q., let this light the fire for a run. When I heard a player say they get they got hardware to go get at the end of the day, it hit me. They're serious. Now this, I'm befuddled. Well, shout out to Ryan for bringing the word befuddled back into my vocabulary because that's a great one. Uh, Bob M. says, this t- the team came together finally. They should have felt some responsibility for their coach's demise by highly underachieving play. They also looked like they were not as tight, especially shooting the ball. Had it not been for the usual poor officiating job by Selzik and Karstenen, it would have been a double-digit win. I agree with the tightness thing. And maybe that's one difference that you can you can point to. Um, like Carl F. says, shows they have talent, and I hate to say it, but what an indictment of Coach Holtman. Michael S., who was at the game, uh, as I sit in the parking lot trying to trying to get out of this place. Good luck. I hope it went well. I feel there's no way you can draw any significant conclusions after one emotionally charged game. I'll probably watch it and look for any real differences in the performance. But all that being said, it's a great response. The real test is to do it again next game and develop some some momentum. I think that's probably the best place to leave it because you're right. It's one game against a really, really good team that proved to be um, an emotional day. And there was a lot of stuff that I keep going back to that went into this game. And I felt like Ohio State handled that stuff in the way that it needed to. And now they got to go build on it. And we'll see what that looks like at Minnesota on Thursday. I will be there. That's an 8 o'clock tip on the Big Ten Network. I still need to book my travel. But I I will be there on Thursday. So um, we'll have full coverage for you on the ground uh, in Minneapolis for the, the Jamison Battle homecoming game. Taysom Chapman homecoming game as well. But having said all that, this is a it's probably a good way or good point to end this one before it goes on too long. I still have more to write, and uh, it's pushing seven o'clock here on on Sunday night. And get home and see the family for a little bit. And I mentioned earlier that this had been uh, a really difficult week, and I don't want to draw too much attention to to this kind of stuff. Uh, but I do feel like anybody that saw me and wondered why I look like crap more than I normally do. I felt maybe I owed a little bit of an explanation. Um, or if you wondered why I had on uh, red socks, um, uh, they had uh, the socks have uh, a picture of our, our beagle, uh, Grady, who um, we had to put Grady down on Saturday. Uh, he was 14. He was an unbelievable dog. He was diagnosed with um, melanoma in September. And we were given basically a prognosis of about 60 days. Um, and he, he, he kept going and was just, just a great dog. And I know 
grieving a pet can be a strange process. And I'm sure there are some of you that are, that don't, you know, if you're not a pet lover, I, I understand why that sounds weird or feels weird and feel free to just stop listening to the podcast. Now I'm not going to go long on this, but I just, I just want, I guess if you're listening this long, you care enough that I feel like I want you to know that, um, it's been really hard. And, um, that was Saturday morning. And so it's obviously been a difficult, challenging uh, week work-wise between travel and coaching change and coaching search and all the things that, that go into um, what is still the greatest job that I could ever ask for. Um, it was, it's been a hard weekend. And last year for Christmas, my amazing wife, Brittany, gave me a couple pairs of socks where that have one have my oldest son, Liam's face. The next or another pair have my youngest son, Owen's face. And then one has smiling face of our, of our beagle, uh, Grady. And I just had to wear these socks today for him. So, um, I'm going to stop now because I'm about to lose it and it's still pretty hard to talk about. So good place to end this podcast. Uh, big win for Ohio state. We'll see what they can do with it moving forward. I'll have full coverage for you moving forward at dispatch.com. Um, as always, you can send along your questions, your comments, your love notes, your hate mail, and otherwise constructive criticism to me at Adam Jardy on Twitter or ajardydispatch.com. Thanks again for listening. Thanks to Patrick Flaherty, the podfather. Um, I'll be back with you. We might squeeze one in in between now and, and Thursday. Um, maybe I'll try to record something on Tuesday, just kind of taking stock of the coaching search and what we know and some parameters going forward. So yeah, look for that. Look for that Tuesday, probably drop Wednesday morning. But in the meantime... If you got a dog, if you got a pet, go go give him a hug for me and tell him you love him because they deserve it. Thanks, everyone. Be sure and subscribe to the Buckeye Extra podcast in the iTunes Store, the Google Play Store, or on Stitcher.